0: Alright, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined by Rich Hoffman, on this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the CLNS Media Network. How you doing, Rich?
1: I'm good, man. The uh, The early game yesterday was nice, although the Sixers' performance was not so much. But
0: it, it, it was nice. It feels like it's been a while since they played, and it's really only been one day. Uh, the performance was very forgettable, and maybe that's why it feels like it has been so long. That was one of their worst... I don't even care what the score indicates. That was one of their worst losses of the season. And it's to a team that they've now had two wretched losses to. You almost wonder what the film session was like the following day, but who knows? Maybe we'll find out in a couple of weeks from ESPN, but that was not a good performance. <laughs> of course, the Port- Portland is when they had the supposed oh, don't Jimmy explain Bowler your joke.
1: Session. What are you yeah. doing? It was a good joke.
0: It, it was not. Um, that's, bad. That's, a, that's a real bad matchup for this team. It's a real bad matchup when Joel Embiid is healthy. That's certainly a bad matchup when Joel Embiid is not, and you've got to find 48 center minutes outside of that. And very clearly showed that this is a team that still has pretty serious problems defending the pick-and-roll, and, and the perimeter in general. And the trades that they have made have not yet rectified that problem. So on a scale of one to holy shit, how concerned are you after that game?
1: how concerned am I for the next couple of games or just over this
0: team's ability to compete towards an NBA finals appearance?
1: Uh, I I mean, I think the main point here is we know that they're screwed. If MB is out of the lineup, but, and we'll get to it, I guess in a little bit, we're going to assume that he's going to come back and be healthy. I mean, it, it's a terrible thought to even think otherwise, but from what the Sixers said, it was just kind of tendonitis in his knee. Well,
0: good but good I, news. An Embiid knee injury in January and February has never ballooned into anything worse.
1: I just, yeah, maybe we need to edit that out afterwards. Wh- whatever, but...
0: <laughs> so, do I need to explain that joke too? Or not joke, uh, that reference as well? Probably not, right? That's everyone dar- everyone listening to this has been a fan for two years.
1: That's some very dark humor, if, if not.
0: No, but, not a joke.
1: But yeah, I mean, I, I think we kind of knew they, uh, they're they going to struggle without Embiid. Now, I mean, like, you know, when he comes back in the playoffs and if he is healthy and playing, you know, at the level that we're accustomed to seeing from him, they only need about 10 minutes a game without him. And to be fair, I mean, I, I thought yesterday's performance was just complete trash. Portland shot five of 23 from three and they killed them. I mean, what was the, on cleaning the glass, it's a 44% offensive rebounding rate for for Portland. Like, the Sixers just got their ass kicked on the boards yesterday. And I think kind of the most interesting thing to come from it is, what are they kind of going to do with their center rotation? I think me and you are going to have some pieces on that over the past couple weeks, or uh, over the next couple days. Sorry, I don't know what I'm, I i can not even talk right now. The... It, playing Boban heavy minutes seems to me like it's not the answer moving forward. And Brett went to a mirror of all people in the second half, uh, yesterday, which, which didn't work out at all either. Uh, they do, they do need to figure out how to play those 10 to 14 minutes a game without a beat. And on that, I, I'm not at holy shit, but I'm pretty concerned about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. To be clear, uh, when I, I make a, a uh, reference to Embiid's knee injury escalating that is not based on uh, don't read into that and me saying I maybe know something about it I this should be nothing and I I want to make that clear um okay, everyone windhorse. I think listening well uh, sh- I'm not windhorse level but I am a little paranoid about people taking things a little too seriously or inferring into it that was just a um you know a reference to the past a little bit of a defeatist attitude that I think most people following this team may have given the last couple of years of injuries. That that's all that was. Getting back to the back... So first of all, I think it's, it's worth noting that anytime you lose a legitimate MVP candidate, it's hard to overcome that against a good team. Like, that's not breaking any news. But it's probably reason not to completely lose your mind over what was a, a pretty bad loss. Regardless of how much... Depth the Sixers have acquired. Not depth so much in terms of bench, and we'll get to that. But depth in terms of high-level players. Yes, they still had Redick and and Simmons and Butler and Harris. But Embiid's a very big part. You don't want to call him a glue guy because he's... Glue has kind of like that... You infer a a role player. But he really does keep all of the parts in in lockstep. Especially defensively, he's very key to what they do. So losing him was a big deal. But I think that's the team they probably struggle with the matchup with even with Embiid, and I think that's a a, a style of play that can test Embiid defensively and test um, you know and and test their guards, which are not really equipped to handle. But it, it is also you know there's going to be a lot of talk, and and Brett has talked about he is experimenting um, specifically with Boban, and I think it really highlights you know when Boban plays the Knicks. Or when Boban plays the Heat, at least for the first half, when they're sticking to an Adebayo and Whiteside rotation, I think some people can, you know, overrate his ability to play when it matters. And I think in the second half, in the second half against the Heat, when they went to Olenek at, Olenek at center and against uh, against Portland you really saw the limitations of that. Like he cannot he he cannot be your day in and day out backup center even if you're talking about a 14 minute per game role. There are matchups he's just going to not be able to play in. And boy did we get a nice little demonstration of that. So the question then becomes, okay, you want to have try Boban out, see what you have in him. But you have to keep Jonah, you know, Jonah Bolden close because what we've seen in the last two games is he is nowhere near ready to play basketball at an NBA level right now, much much less a playoff level. And I think that layoff he's had has hurt him. And I think Bobon is probably a guy where he can sit three games, come out in the fourth game and play well. Like he's he's a veteran. He's been in this for a few years now. He's he's sort of steady in that regard when he has a matchup he can succeed against. He's not like think, a
1: rhythm based player either. No,
0: he's the, not. I don't think Jonah I don't think, I don't think you can sit Jonah Bolden for a week and then when you need him in a matchup, expect him to come out and play well. And I think it's going to be tough to get Jonah Bolden up to a playoff level thinking of the game anyway. Even if you play him 15 minutes a night from here on out, so I think they do have to make an effort to get him minutes because I think I think last game against the tra- Trailblazers showed two things. First of all, Boban can't play against a number of teams who play a playoff style basketball, and it'll be interesting when to get in with the bo- with with Boston or Toronto because they have some more paint oriented big men. By and large, a lot of the really good teams will try to spread you out like that. And Portland doesn't really spread you out from their center position. But they force the big man to come up and try to contest guards off the pick and roll and then have big men who can slip behind and get in a rebounding position and are big and physical. So I think against a lot of teams that play that stuff, you you need to have Jonah Bolden ready to go. And I don't think this is the way to do it. And it's not the end of the world right now because the games truthfully don't. I mean, they matter for seeding. But you're trying to figure out what you have for the playoffs. But I think I don't think they can go too. Like I think that, I think they need to get Jonah Bolden reps because I do think you're going to need his defensive mobility at times. And right now, I just I don't trust that he's ready.
1: I mean, when you talk about playoff style, it's exactly what we were talking about with Embiid. As good as he is, and my God, was yesterday. I mean, just send that tape to the league for his uh, his MVP campaign to to all the voters because. I mean, they just look lost without him. But it's kind of what we were talking about with Horford in that there are these rare matchups where as good as Joel is, a playoff style can, uh, you know, spreading them out to the three-point line specifically can be a little bit tricky for him. With Boban, that's even more the case because they're only, you know, a certain number of players. I mean, we were talking about it when we were watching the Heat game. When Justice Winslow is their point guard, and they're playing Whiteside primarily. That's great. Bobon, he can work against that crew. But uh but yeah, against you know, a team like Portland who whose guards, again, they did not get great games really from Dame or CJ yesterday. I thought Dame was actually pretty efficient, but he, he didn't go off or anything. Uh they they're gonna test Bobon. And and I agree with you. I think, you know, if, if you look at this roster, now maybe I don't know, could somebody show up on the buyout market who might make things a little bit better? Maybe like Robin Lopez or somebody, even though it doesn't seem like he's going to get bought out. Uh, I, I don't know, but I, I think if you're just like looking at the roster right now, Bolden to me is the guy who in most matchups is going to make the most sense.
0: Yeah. No. T- to me, is he should be your backup center. Boban is a situational guy depending on matchups and team play style and that's again we, we said this I think in the last podcast where it's like you almost feel guilty talking bad about Boban because he's so fun and when he's got the right matchup he can be very effective but it's just he's, he's I mean it's one thing like you worry about Embiid if he's out on, uh, on the perimeter at the three point line chasing Horford he can't get back in a rebounding position he can't get back to protect the paint well if Boban gets out to the foul line he's done He's not getting back for that rebound. He's not getting back to contest any any, any contest the rim with any ball movement. Like he does not have, he doesn't need to take a step in the wrong direction. He needs a lean in the wrong direction, and he's out of the play. So it is, it, you know, when you have uh, Dame and CJ just run him off pick and roll and pick and roll and pick and roll. Like there's opportunity for the roll man. There's opportunity for the rebound, and the Sixers did not do a good enough job of getting Boban back. Or giving him enough time to get back. There wasn't enough tagging of the role man. There wasn't enough rebounding from the wings. They weren't getting the loose balls. But there's just... He, he, he does not bring enough to offset that. And the pick-and-roll defense is is just... It's such a huge concern. And I, I really think that... Okay, you got Boban. You probably like having a center. A, a steady veteran-type presence. He He's just not built to play every day as a backup center. And I think that's been pretty well proven throughout his NBA career. And I think they... You know, like I said, fine if you want to test a little bit here in February, the first month with them. But I do think they have to get Jonah back because I do think if they're looking at this as a we we included Boban in this trade to you fix our backup center rotation and set that and, and make him the primary, I think that's a pretty big mistake.
1: I wrote this in my uh, my post yesterday, uh, recapping the game, which was uh, a lot of fun to do. Let me tell you, the uh, I think Reddick. Of all the players, is the guy who was affected most by Embiid's uh, absence because oh, on
0: both ends of the court.
1: Because then in the second half, Brett goes to Amir, which I mean, God, I, I went to go, I went to uh, to Amir's G League game on on Friday, which all of you made fun of me for 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 being a loser and having no life. And I wrote a pretty good story, I thought, just because Amir is kind of a good guy and. He, uh, he has a pretty positive attitude. And then Amir comes into the game and offers them pretty much nothing, which uh, was kind of the opposite of what I was rooting for. I was kind of rooting for a good story. Uh, but during that time, they went away from the pick and roll, and they started posting up Redick with Harkless. And I think they, they ran a couple of plays for Jake Lehman when he came in the game, too. And when you slot somebody like Amir in Embiid's place, you just don't have that rim protection, and it's it's like you said on offense as well. So much of what JJ does is uh, is that two man action with Joel. So yeah, they uh, you, you can really tell that like Redick. It, it was pretty jarring to see you, basically what a minus he was on the floor yesterday. Because usually yeah. when he plays with Embiid, not only does he kind of accentuate Embiid's positives on the offensive end. JoJo really covers up for his, uh, for his shortcomings on defense, too.
0: Yeah, and I like so much when you get away from the star-level players, so much of their effectiveness, and whether they're worth their, you know, their, what you gave up to acquire them, their contract, what have you, is based on how they fit with your most important players. And the reason why maybe you overlook JJ's defensive shortcomings is because, A, you have someone in Embiid who can help um, cover them up, And B, what he does, you know, there's such a perfect synergy in Embiid getting J.J. open looks relatively open for J.J. He'll tell you he's never had an open jump shot in years. But he'll he'll get him more space. And then Redick will also, um, you know, create a whole lot of gravity and get Joel a little bit more space. Like, there's there's perfect—and even when J.J.'s not making shots, he can be a a net positive, even with his defense, because of how he makes your best players better. But you take Embiid out of the court— um, and a lot of that is no longer true. And maybe on a different team, Reddick wouldn't be quite as useful because of, of of not having somebody like 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 Embiid. And I think we I think you're dead on when he is probably the one who suffers the most when Embiid's out of the lineup.
1: There's a reason that pretty much all of JJ's minutes come with Joe on the floor. It's a reason that right. they pick those two to play together. While you know when it was when it, uh, before Tobias was here, Ben was basically you know he he was paired up with Jimmy or he was on his own. And, and that makes a lot of yep. sense.
0: Let's go I will back. say, let go ahead.
1: No, make your, make your point first. Cause I, I, I was just going
0: to say about Amir and look, I think, you know, I think there was, so there's sort of two ways to look at it. It's a lot of reaction of, well, why didn't Jonah play in the second half? You could explain I didn't Jonah not playing good. in the second half is because he played like shit in the first half. Yeah. I think a lot of people jump to, oh, well, he was only a negative one in eight minutes or whatever it was. They missed a ton and of shots. Th- that single game plus minus itself is very noisy. Eight minute plus minus is extremely noisy. And when you look at that game and the Blazers dropped 130 and won by, f- by 15, I mean, that, they could have dropped 145 that, that night. Like they just, they missed a lot of open shots. And when you go back and you watch Jonah, first of all, the Blazers got a lot of open perimeter shots and, and there was a lot of offensive rebounding opportunities. And he was pretty directly involved in those. Um, so I don't think he was an answer. But now if you want to ask me, well, he should have played over Amir, y- yeah, you're, prob- you're, you're right. There was no reason to put Amir in there. Brett explained it um, as, you know, Amir was, he wanted to get somebody who would at least grab a defensive rebound. Uh, no. Like maybe last year's Amir that was playing every day. You can make that argument. This year's Amir that looks clearly cooked and hasn't played in a month. That was just expecting. And I get like Brett was desperate, but I don't think that was a desperation move that had a very high chance of working. Do I think it cost him the game? N- no. Like they I get that Amir anyway. was a negative 10 in four minutes, but again, that was a team that was up 7 at that point, I think, 7 or 8, and quite frankly should have been up 15 or 20. And if you were to project out the quality of looks they were getting up to that point, they were pretty clearly going to come away with that win either way but Amir wasn't a good tactical decision to go with
1: no and as as much as i i love amir like i think he is great guy i think he's he cool has guy. a future in you know what, whatever he does he's kind of to me he's similar to to El, the way we looked at elton a few years ago as a veteran where i just think as a guy you know if he wants a future in basketball, whether it's coaching or maybe even being in the front office or or just anything, I think there is a path for him to succeed that way but like you said, he just looks like he's over i i don't know what happened over the past couple of years, but he he just lost you know the half step that is necessary for him to basically lose all of his effectiveness so yes, it was a bad decision and I think the other reason why you would play bold in that situation even though we both said that he did not show well in the first half and you know his his minus one doesn't hold any weight i think the point is like like we were saying earlier he's going to be the guy who you're going to put in most playoff matchups you want him to play through his uh his poor you know poor first half or, or whatever or mediocre first half whatever you want to call it so uh, the question i wanted to ask you going back a couple of days here because we haven't had a pod for a for a little while here. What do you make of this Embiid injury? Is it... I What do you think of their explanation of it, I would say?
0: So it's... I mean, you can go back and listen back in late December, I think, when this first came out. You're always worried about knee soreness for a 7- to 280-pound human being. Like, it's just... It's naturally a concern that it's going to linger and or get worse, especially when it's in a knee that he's already had one surgery on. And again, does that mean that there's any correlation there? No, I don't, I have no idea, but it's a concern. And it raises a red flag and you note it and you hope it doesn't get worse. So he's missed one game over the month and a half prior to this because of that injury, because of soreness came back and has played, you know, for a while now without any, issues with it flaring up to the point where he couldn't play. So to come back from that layoff and now have it where he can't play through it and he's going to miss a week after being able to play through it for a long time, it, there's some concern. Uh, there is... So, and What was the explanation? That he wasn't active enough and as they get him back up to doing cardio and and back into you know, more exercises that they think that will fix it. Um, Yeah. I don't don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, it It, it seems like something that's probably going to linger. And like, there's a part of me that says, okay, like they, um, you know, you take, take, take another week off. You essentially have, have two weeks of very little movement. Um, I'll, I'll say one thing I don't care about is that he played in the all-star game. Like there's that, that is so little pressure and impact on that knee that like you get a good practice in and that's, that's more impact than it would have in there like I, I I really I think a lot of people focus on that because it's so high profile and it looks bad I, I that I'm not worried about and you can go back to previous years I'm consistent on that I don't really care that he played in that game um, so it makes a little sense to me that you can get two weeks off uh, and, and hopefully fix it for the stretch run my concern is why did it come back now worse than it's been. For the last month and a half, and are we confident that a week is going to fix it? I I have no idea. It, trying to predict injuries is maybe my least favorite part of the job.
1: Yeah, it's certainly well. I, I mean we we've had a lot of practice with it <laughs> way over, too much over, practice. over the years. The uh, yeah, it's I think the All Star Game. It's that uh, that pesky word that that always seems to come up with this franchise. Besides injury, is optics. It just doesn't look awesome uh, that he played the all-star game and then he's he's shut down for a couple of weeks even though like you said I, I agree with you it's I, god we me and you bitch about how garbage that game is all the time and the amount of attention it gets so it, it would be wrong of us to to say oh man what a what a crazy workout it is as well yeah we will uh, we will see I mean he's been battling Injuries the entire year, like he's been playing through not injuries, but soreness and God, I mean, like I, I was I'm trying to think back to uh, everything that he's dealt with.
0: Well, re- remember the wrist?
1: Yeah, that the been hand dealing that, with for a year that he was complaining about. Uh, there's the back, which is yep. we obviously know about. Uh, there was an ankle in there, I believe. Yep. And I I don't know if he's been dealing with. Was it was it One bout of knee soreness. I I know this knee, which also correct, is the one that uh, had the meniscus. Meniscus, on, right? Yep. I, I believe this knee knee soreness kept him out
0: one for game the game in, against.
1: Might have been the Portland game in Portland too. Uh, so you know, it's. I, I remember when I was a kid, NBC had a graphic of all of the injuries that Iverson was playing through, and they just they showed a picture of Iverson and they just kind of pointed to just pretty much every spot on his whole body and Bede is kind of getting there. Yeah. And uh yeah, I, I don't know. It's like you said, 72240, i it's not 240. Maybe back
0: in Kansas he was 240.
1: Yeah, whatever. But you know, his body is is going it's going to be a struggle at times to uh to make it through the NBA season. And yeah, it's, I think basically, like you said, I I do wonder just why now it became, I don't want to say untenable, but they they thought it was wisest to, to rest him. And it, it does feel like sometimes when it comes to, to pain tolerance and, you know, being able to play through certain things, they don't exactly give you a ton of confidence that, there's like a consistency there to to what they're doing, but like you said, speculating on this stuff is not no, my, and I mean, my I favorite mean, look,
0: it, thing to do. It uh you know, he missed that one game in late December. I forget which might have been I forget which game it was. Um and then he came back and he was on the in the knee was on the knee soreness was on the injury report for maybe a week or so after that. And then we sort of just stopped hearing about it. So it's one of the things where even if he comes back, are we hundred percent confident it's not going to recur? And I think that's the big question. And I'm just not sure any of us has a, a really solid answer on that. So we'll see. We'll see. Ho- hopefully it is nothing. And this is just being, uh, you know, precautious, um, precautionary, cautious. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and we don't, it's not going it, to, here's what I'll say. Give him some rest between now and the end of the season. Maybe not a week off at a time, but like, here, sit this game out. You only have one game in four days. Sit this out. Take a five-day rest. Um, Stuff like that. I'd I'd like to see them do more of that. More of like what they did in Denver. More consistently throughout the season. And I understand that you've got to get Joe's buy-in on this. And that's always tough for a guy who is, you know, he's cognizant of the not a full-time player uh, reputation he got from his first three years in the league.
1: I think he cares about that more than anything.
0: And and you've got to get through to him. Now, look, today doesn't matter. This week doesn't matter. May does. And we need you in May. So I get that that's a tough uh, tough conversation to have, but I, they've got to be successful in that. Yep,
1: yeah. I don't know why I default to 7'2", 240 at all times. Is yeah, that, he's not was 240. That he was, was that what he was listed as at, uh, at Kansas, or is that he what was, the Sixers officially list him as?
0: He was 7'2", 240 at Kansas. And then the Sixers came out and said that he had, and, and Bede too, that he has grown two inches and is 7'2". And you look at him, and he, he he's looks bigger than people who were listed at seven foot. And I think he's announced before the games as a 7'2 center from Kansas. Uh, the height, I, or the weight, I don't think we know for sure. Like, there was that report that he was up to 300 pounds uh, during his, his, was it his first or his second year that he was out? Doesn't matter. um she The Shirley, out, Shirley he, Temple year. Yeah, yeah, yeah he came out and he said that he wasn't that big, um, but clearly the implication that he was... I mean, he, he put on a lot of weight. And he's put on a lot of weight since his Kansas days, in the good way, too. Like, he's Muscle. a much stronger um, human being. Um, so I would... I, I say 280 just kind of as a uh, a guess. I don't know if we know for sure. It it kind of surprised me that we don't ever get updated measurements. Uh, we stick with what guys measured in at the combine at, uh, you know, 18 or 19 years old and, and, and just talk about that when they're 32 like there's still that size and and weight but I would guess seven two two eighty.
1: yeah I, I was just thinking I, I I wonder why I default to something that I know in my head is not the right answer but yeah yeah if, would if be he's, nice if we if he's got 240 specific... then
0: I'm 140 and I'm not 140
1: you're not all right. okay
0: no not quite um all right so what all right let's Before we get into anything else, a real quick word from our sponsor, Bet Online. We're heading down the stretch run for the NBA season, and as an exciting playoff race unfolds...
1: If you ever get one of these on the first take, I'm going to be stunned. My
0: computer screensaver went on because I hadn't moved a mouse in a long enough time. I lost what I was reading. Anyway, moving on. We're heading down for the stretch run of the NBA season, and as an exciting playoff race unfolds, there's only one place to go for all your online sports betting needs. BetOnline.ag Sports, casino, virtual casino, you name it BetOnline.ag is the Sixers Beat and CLNS Media's preferred sportsbook online and they're offering a 50% sign-up bonus if you use the promo code CLNS50 This week, the Celtics and the Raptors will battle it out for the next chapter in this knockdown, drag-out fight for Eastern Conference Supremacy and you can join in on the excitement by going to BetOnline.ag Over, unders, prop bets, futures, you name it BetOnline has it Once again, CLNS Media and BetOnline are offering you a 50% sign-up bonus if you use our code CLNS50 with your first deposit. Go to clnsmedia.com slash win. Use promo code CLNS50 for your 50% sign-up bonus today. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. There! See, after you mocked me for it, I got through it right after the little computer mishap.
1: It's motivation, Um, Holmes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, all right. So... Mike Scott, Jonathan Simmons, James Ennis, go.
1: Whew, very underwhelming <laughs> so far. Uh,
0: Bench problems are still there. Bench problems are still very much there.
1: But, I mean, at this point, this is what you have. And
0: James Ennis sort of reminds me of the Tinder 3 and D2. You know how we, we use that to describe um, Wilson Chandler? where You thought what you were getting is not quite what you actually got. It feels like James Ennis to me.
1: Yeah, I said the other day. I think he might be the worst layup shooter I've ever seen. Just at least since
0: Robert Covington.
1: Yeah, God. I mean, some just just poor touch around the rim. Look, I I, you know Mike Scott is going to be your four in the playoffs. Your your backup four, and then of those other two guys, I mean, if we're gonna keep playing TJ, which you know if these guys continue to stink, you you might be forced into that hand. Uh, they're going to be battling for one spot and, you know, I, I've, I don't really have a ton to offer except they need to play better. And I, you know, it seems like these guys, they, they don't completely know all the plays yet. They don't, uh, you know, they, they, they just, they, they don't understand how, how to play with all of their teammates yet either. But I I will say, because a lot of their minutes are going to come with Jonah Bolden behind them. And, you know, I think Jonah Bolden has shown some level of rim protection. Obviously, he's a very bouncy guy, and and he can, you know, challenge people at the rim when he makes the right reads. But on these bench units, one-on-one defense is going to be so critical. Like, you need to be able to guard your own guy. And it's like you said, I... I'm not sure that they have shown a ton in that regard yet. Uh, what, what were, what did you say about Simmons yesterday with his uh, something about his feel for the game? Like he was, uh, yeah.
0: I'm not, not sure. He's the greatest feel guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, but I don't know, man. I don't, you know, we, we've we only seen these guys for a few games, but it, it is, you know, I, I assume Mike Scott's going to start making shots. He started a little bit in the second half yesterday. That'll improve, but, Yeah, it's like, look, the bench problems are still here.
0: Yeah, I mean, Scott is certainly the one that I expect to stay. Like, if there's one guy who's definitely going to stay in the rotation, Mike, Mike Scott is of that group. And he's the one that I'm most confident in being an actual useful rotational player. And you look at it, so you've got one of the two centers that will play, whether it's Bolden or Boban, depending on the matchup. And you've got TJ and you've got Mike Scott. There's eight, like you said. There's then one more spot that they have to figure out for the playoffs. Brett's looking for a nine-man rotation. It would—I'd feel much more confident if they had gotten someone like Wesley Matthews on the buyout market. Not that he would fix the team's perimeter defensive concerns. I'd feel much more confident if maybe Patrick Beverly would have been there in that trade instead of, of Bobon. I don't know if that was available, um, but you really would like one other guy who can handle the ball and defend the point of the attack. I, one other guy, a guy, uh, the first guy on your roster who can consistently do that. They have some real weaknesses and you're kind of relying, you know. I th- think one of the things I was hopeful for was okay, you got Mike Scott, you've got James Ennis. Maybe now you can go some Jimmy Butler at the point and just throw out, you know, four wings in a center. And I'm not sure I can rely on James Ennis enough right now to do that. Like, I, he's not quite what I think. We were hoping for, or at least he hasn't shown it yet. So it's there's pretty big concern. The buyout market has, you know, we'll see sometimes, guys, you know, the deadline here is in about a week for players to get released to be eligible for playoff eligibility. So anyone who's sort of holding out, um, maybe we'll see whether or not anybody shakes loose. One of the two Sixers, was it uh, Bellinelli who came free?
1: Bellinelli was pretty late. Yeah, yeah. Or, one came
0: right at the trade deadline, and one came a couple of weeks later. I forget which was which, but
1: no, no, no. Ilyasova came later, I think.
0: Okay, it does happen where, where some of these guys will end up being bought out um, as teams do a favor for them. But it, it, I don't know if you can count on that right now. And what you have right now just doesn't. And look, you don't need as many minutes because you've got another starter in Harris, who's going to be playing. You know. F- 33 to 35 minutes per night, if not more, when the playoffs roll around, you've now got five guys who are going to be playing pretty big minutes. You don't need as many minutes, but you, it would be nice to have somebody capable and dependable that you could go to when, when they have to sit. And right now I'm just not sure who you have. Like literally, I don't know if there's one guy on that bench who you can rely on game in the game out. TJ for matchup reasons, Boban for matchup reasons, Bolden, because he's a rookie. Um, Mike Scott hopefully is that guy, but he hasn't really been so far, and Ennis and Jonathan Simmons certainly haven't.
1: I mean, we've seen TJ kind of over the past couple of games; he's played pretty well. But again, it's against either mediocre or maybe not not the quite the elite competition. Yeah. So and for I mean, now, he's... for now, I think you have to be pretty happy with how TJ has been playing recently. But yeah, I still have the same concerns about him in the playoffs that we've kind of been talking about all year.
0: TJ is, he's played well since the trades, but we know what TJ is. We know what TJ can and can't do. We know what matchups are good and bad for TJ. Um, So whether or not he's in a good play, a string of good play or not, like it doesn't really change anything in that regard. Like it would, this lineup would come together so much better if they had somebody like a a Pat Bev type. It really would. It would be, be a, yeah. a real nice addition. But
1: and, and the buyout market, I have to say, the Sixers are probably, you know, after last year, they were probably the biggest winners in, in buyout history. I, I don't think anybody has gotten two players who contributed. You know, again, we, we've talked about how we think they're, the losses of Ursan of and Marco were very much overrated, but those guys contributed like crazy down the stretch last year and even into the first round of the playoffs. I think it's fair to say that the Sixers were pretty big losers this time around. If unless somebody else, you know, becomes available, I missing out on Wesley Matthews. That was really their, their chance. And you know, it's, it's a shame that for them, Wes Matthews said, nah, I'm going to take the starting role in Indiana when, the Sixers could have told him, man, you would be the sixth man, though, and we might make the finals if if you were here. But, you know, I look, I, I think looking at it from Wesley Matthews' standpoint, I, I do understand the idea of there's going to be a ton of money on the free agent market next year. You want to play as much as possible. I'm not sure he made the right decision. I don't know. Playing in the finals and playing a major role could have really helped him, but I, I do understand kind of, the thinking there.
0: Yeah. I mean, he he's playing 32 minutes a night for the Pacers so far, averaging nearly 14 points a game. He's, he's playing a big role on a team that will still make the playoffs. And maybe he only gets like 22 to 25 minutes a night here with the Sixers. But you say to him, look, instead of playing one round of the playoffs, you could play three rounds of the playoffs, four rounds of the playoffs. You'll make up those minutes, but there is still, you know, he's starting for the Pacers. There's still, you know, you can put that on your resume when you go out and you try to, um, you know, try to make a sales pitch. Your your agent can use that to get you more money or more guaranteed money. So I understand it, but it was certainly disappointing. Um, and he would have, he would, I mean, he's shooting, he's he's playing well so far for the Pacers, and you you hope that that would have, uh, you know, would have happened here. But he's he's still he doesn't solve the perimeter defense problems. But it would be great to have a more reliable shooter. Off the bench, if there's one thing Wesley Matthews is, it's it's a rel- reliable shooter. So mm-hmm. trying
1: to think, so is I, there is there anything else?
0: You know, I guess we can hit on. So I, any other initial like Tobias Harris impressions?
1: I mean, no, I don't. I don't really know. Uh, he he shot the ball a little bit better yesterday. Uh, I, I think you know we kind of talked about it before the game his uh his defensive awareness isn't great no his his off the ball reads and and kind of where to be is not is not great but i think we knew that we knew he was not a defensive stopper or you know Mm -hmm. someone who could play off ball defense at the level of a covington say uh or on ball defense uh, no no and the sixers on ball defense literally everybody stunk yesterday but but he was part of it. What do you make? Uh, I think we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast. Jimmy Butler down to seven percent, or uh, I got that wrong. His usage percentage is seventh on the team. Yeah. Since so, I
0: grade. I think one quick thing about Harris. Um, you know, I think people talked about like him being a two way player, and that's probably not fair. Like he's not. He's an average, probably at best, defender who at least won't be physically overmatched. And I think not being physically overmatched is worthwhile when he's probably going to be defending mostly the you know team's third best perimeter scorer. So you don't necessarily need Covington in that role, but it would be great. You know, you just hope some of these off-ball miscues get you know fixed or at least cut down as they become a little more. Accustomed to playing one another. And I think that was my big takeaway. You know, when they went small the other day against Miami, which I thought was interesting. I'd like to see more small ball. um, with Specifically with Simmons at the 5. They tried to go small ball with uh, Mike Scott at the 5 against the Blazers, um, which, again, another desperation move. It was like, well, we're getting killed on the glass anyway, so at least maybe try to space it around our our best offensive players. Um, Low chance of working, but they probably... thing they did at that point was low chance of working. I like that move a lot but a lot better than I did a mirror. But I think Simmons at the five is really interesting because you can run that Harris Butler pick and roll. You can put Simmons in the dunker spot where it makes more sense than on Embiid post-up. And you can space the floor around them. And I think that look was interesting. You know, the Sixers basically outscored the Heat 19 to 10 during that run. The problem is the Heat didn't really miss any shots. They just turned the ball over a couple times. And what you really need, you know, Brett. The way Brett said it is, we if we switch everything, then hopefully we don't have a need for a rim protector as much as we normally do. Which conceptually, yes, but in practice, you can't be missing every switching assignment that was out there. Like you go back and you watch that like maybe six minute run, there were at least four or five just blown assignments, they and miss, a lot of them they involved, miss Reddick
1: switches. Like it's oh my god,
0: and a lot of them involved. Tobias. And I hope that's more um, just being unfamiliar with the scheme and the personnel and the the, the switch responsibilities and the switch pairings than it is a lack of awareness, but it's something to keep an eye on for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The Reddick, Tobias screens, Tobias had no idea when the switch and not the switch. And yeah, I, I actually think the uh the newness is hurting them there. I butler said the same thing. And it's it's hard for me to pinpoint the uh this kind of intricacy, but it does seem like the way the sixer switch is a little bit different. It's not as easy as when you're just playing pickup basketball and you're just like switch when, because you're a lazy defender. Uh, I, I do think <laughs> there is, I mean, obviously these are NBA players and they're, they're really skilled, but there is a little bit more of a learning curve that than you would think just considering, um, how simple it seems on, on paper, but we will see if Tobias, uh, can kind of turn it around. He's, uh, I, I do agree with you that I think his, uh, you know when he is was sold as a two-way player it was more of really good offensive player and he has the size and kind of attributes to be an average defensive player but there are certainly some shortcomings there
0: yeah all right so butler as his usage rate drops you know again this is something that we kind of said at the at the when they acquired Harris you know if Jimmy buys in, and he's sort of like a, um, you know, a, a situational type scorer, a he might go a quarter and a half with barely touching the ball, and then you might ask for him to really carry your offense for a minute or two. That's fine as long as he's playing lockdown defense, and so far he hasn't been. Like his defense has been a little yeah. underwhelming. Um, there were moments, oddly, in that Boston game. I think it was probably one of his more impressive defensive showings, uh, which you wouldn't know it by looking at the score because Kyrie made some absolute... I'm going back to um, Christmas Day, Boston. Kyrie made some absolutely absurd shots, uh, but I thought he played him pretty well and maybe gave you a sneak peek of what playoff Jimmy Butler defense could be. But it doesn't ever seem like it's 100% ratcheted up so far. And he takes a lot of gambles on defense. So... If he's gonna be this low usage player, you hope that defensive impact improves. Um, if he's gonna, you know, put out less effort offensively, be asked to carry less of the half court scoring, then they're gonna need more from him defensively because he's really the only, the best option outside of maybe Ben to defend the point of attack. And they need that badly. Um he does he's and especially against Portland, where they needed him offensively more than he gave them, and I don't know why we're so consistently having this discussion of, and he gets asked about it a lot of Jimmy. Why did you only have nine shots? Like, why? It's uh, not
1: always because he's stuck in the corner
0: either. No, it's not. And a lot of like when he was he ran a lot of point in the second half against Miami. I thought he did a pretty good yeah. job of it. He didn't. Especially take in the a fourth quarter, of, he did a good yeah. job. Yeah. He didn't take a lot of shots, but he, you know, he he would just very slowly and methodically go to switch and find the mismatch, and I thought that was pretty good to see. But you would like to see him, you know, just drive hard off of a pick-and-roll, turn the corner, get in the paint, and, and, and score. And, like, he's been getting the free-throw line, and that's probably the one area where it sort of, you know, saved him a little bit in terms of his offensive impact. Um. But yeah, it's been it's been interesting. And I think when Embiid comes back, you know, the role he was playing with Embiid, I don't really have a problem with. Like he'd have 18 one game, then 29 the next, and fifteen, then twenty-two. It would be a little bit inconsistent, but I thought he picked his spots pretty well. But these last two games without Embiid, I thought I thought they I thought they needed more from him.
1: It just feels like too many times he gets that pick and roll, and he just seems like his mind is made up where he's gonna drive baseline and try and throw it in the opposite corner or, you know, kick it out to the other wing. And, you know, while those passes don't usually result in a turnover, they don't really result in an advantage for the Sixers either. And that at that point you're like, man, you should probably be doing more in terms of looking at the basket and trying to score. Yeah. And it, it kind of just goes to, you know, the general feeling from yesterday in that, you know, and kind of, Wrapping up all of the things we've talked about, I know their bench is not great. I know Portland is a tough matchup for them. I know Embiid is one of the most impactful players in the league. It's like, come on, guys. You have Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, and Tobias Harris, though. You should be able to play better than that against Portland at home. And uh, it didn't happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It would be great to see this matchup, and it doesn't matter; they're not going to see him in the playoffs. I feel pretty confident saying Portland's not coming out of the West, but it would be interesting to see this matchup with Embiid because both games have been without him. Sixers have lost by a combined forty-nine points in those two games, and should have lost by another fifteen or twenty. And you know how much does Embiid make up from that? And it's really those have been two of the worst losses of the season. So, yeah. honestly if 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 he would have had been a really good defender the other night, I would have overlooked his less than expected role offensively but he he's just he's he's been very inconsistent defensively so we'll see I really do wonder what you know there's always this like question in the back of my mind like is he holding back a bit is he is there more you can untap from him, especially defensively when the games start to matter um I don't know. I, I truthfully I, I it, it's a it's a weird spot. It's a weird spot.
1: I don't know either. I uh and I have not always been that impressed with his uh his attention to detail on the defensive end. I think he's going to get fired up for the playoffs. That'll be yeah, uh, I don't I don't That'll expect. be my positive note. Like yeah. I re- regardless of how the Sixers do I am not expecting an apathetic Jimmy Butler in the no. playoffs. So. Nope.
0: And look, it, there is, if he's sort of taking a step back while everybody kind of gets acquainted with each other, um, you know, certainly when Embiid was on the court, like there's just, there's a lot of mouths to feed, as, as Brett would say, in terms of being a waiter. And if, if he's fine being, taking a, a, a little bit of a backseat in terms of initiating, being more of a, um, you know, efficient play finisher i'm fine with that um my my concern is how much more do you have in these situations when they really need him and so far he hasn't and and again my i think my my biggest you know these last two games offensively haven't exactly lit the world on fire my biggest concern is how much more does he have to give you defensively so and and is he okay with his offensive role and touches which i assume he should be because he's turning down a lot of opportunities um, I don't think this is a, you know, when he was here for the first couple of weeks, you looked at him and said, well, why is he standing in the corner so much? I don't think that's the case at all right now, but I guess we should mention Ben Simmons, who has had a couple of really nice games, uh, as a positive note to go out on, you know, he's really played better. He's looked like he's made some legitimate progress in his half court scoring, both Lo- in the loved post game. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, some of those, sometimes those post moves aren't going to be the most efficient, like, per-possession play. Um, you know, he, just, he doesn't consistently get the line from the post-ups like he does in other areas. But he's not like Embiid who's just going to bowl you over, get the line, and that's going to help your efficiency. But if he's even just average efficiency off of post-ups while also being an elite passer, like, that's really going to add a dynamic to their offense. He's really shown... I think that he's improved his footwork and his touch in the post. And if he can continue to establish that, I think that is, I mean, he's, he's playing really well and he's on the verge, you know, next year we might be talking about the Sixers having two top 10 players. And if they do that and surround them with capable supporting cast, like Tobias Harris, who would be a really good long-term piece. If the Sixers do end up with two top 10 players, um, that's a really good development. And he's sort of kind of taking some jumpers lately. You know, I think he went, what, like seven of eight from the free throw line yesterday, which was really good to see. Uh, again, I don't necessarily like, we always go, oh, well, does that mean he's turned a corner on his, his free throw? Like, no, I don't believe that. But I'd like to see more of those games than, than not. But also, like, he has been doing some more shooting before games from the three point line. Yeah. And yeah, again, I don't know. I don't know the form this. is still garbage. Um, I think maybe the results have been a little bit more consistent, just what I've seen in the last couple days, uh, and I just like the fact that he's taking those. Like there were times his rookie year, even earlier in the year, where he just he wouldn't even take three point shots in warm ups. So I like the fact that there's maybe even a hint of underlying confidence that he's willing to take it in front of people now, which is about as I'm not going to try to translate like shoot around success to game play like that's absurd Uh, one of the first things i learned covering nba basketball was everybody looks good shooting in an open gym like just watch walking up and watch spencer Hawes drain like 12 threes in a row that'll beat that into your head really quickly but just the confidence of he's actually taking them and shoot up and shoot arounds is good
1: brett said bobon can shoot threes too the uh let him fly i want to see that But uh, yeah, I'm not going to go, I I don't know. I feel like in the past he's in warmups and practices. I I agree. It's not every time that he's been willing to shoot threes, but it's, it's been a lot. I'm not going to give it the, uh, the figurative or, or the literal eyeball emoji on Twitter. Uh, when (laughs) I see a video of that now, the, uh, what I will say is like, I just watching him up close, you know, we talk so much about his shot and, I I did like his post game, especially in the third quarter of that Heat game. I think he kind of kept them alive during that stretch when the rest of the offense had kind of bogged down. That was that was impressive. Uh, and look, Ben Ben is always going to be a polarizing player just because he has that one major weakness. Some of the things he does, like just uh, when you get to watch him up up close, it's it's really amazing. I don't think I've seen anybody. Who is better at stopping a fast break, like gambling in the backcourt and getting deflections? It is it is crazy. That's unbelievable. I think the other move he does that's like just very consistent, his offensive rebounding, those Tyson Chandler tip outs, he kinda like volleyballs them. He he does, like, a lot of little things that uh, that I think sometimes get overshadowed because all people want to talk about are the jump shot. But I, uh, I have been impressed with how he has played recently, for sure.
0: Yeah. Going back to his free throw shooting, the game before that was 3-for-7, then 8-for-14, then 2-for-7. So, again, don't overreact to one game the shot's going in. But I do think he's been more consistently aggressive and more willing to use his strength to bully his way to the rim which is again good good to see and i hope it hope it can really the way he's played over the last month and a half two months outside of maybe a brief stretch when they first acquired harris has been really trending in a really good direction for the sixers so ending the the podcast on a positive note of course god
1: well ben simmons is good yeah we're gonna end on that ben note. simmons
0: is good couple games coming up here, Pelicans on Monday, then the Thunder, Warriors, which really closes out the tough portion of the Sixers' schedule, and then a lot of tune-up games from there on out. Rich, thank you for jumping on. We will talk to you soon, and have a good one. See you, man. is contacted. I attract clientele. My mic check is life or death breathing. The sniper's breath. I exhale the yellow smoke. of Buddha through righteous steps.